my name is Ryan. If I haven't met you, yeah, like Scott said, I've been serving here for, at the block for a little bit over a year now. I don't know if I deserve that kind of recognition, that introduction that Scott gave. And I got to be honest, um, Scott, you stole my thunder with the, the fall thing, man. I was planning on it. <laughs> I was planning on coming in here, you know, like the, it's the low shelf of introductions, like the weather, right? <laughs> but is anyone else as excited that fall is here? Yeah. Yes. But, hey, that's the only content I have for the introduction, so. <laughs> but, yeah, if it's your first time here at The Block, like Scott was saying, you know, we exist to help young adults explore what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And, yeah, we are at the end of our series called Parables, where we're looking in to stories that Jesus tells us that give us a, a glimpse into a spiritual truth or reality. And before we start digging into the passage, I want to introduce you to a man named James Howells. So James, he's this Welsh man, um, a former IT worker. And back in, in 2013, James, he and his wife, they decide they wanted to go on vacation, right? And so James, he was working from home before it was cool. So he had his home office set up and he thought to himself like, man, after I get home from vacation, I want to come home to a nice, clean workspace. So he decided to clear out all of his office stuff, you know, throw away... <clears throat> Papers he didn't need, you know, open drawers, throw away like a broken mouse or a broken keyboard. And then he came across two hard drives. One of them he knew was blank. And the other one he knew something was on it but couldn't exactly remember what was on it. So he threw away the blank one and they went on vacation. But even on vacation he kind of felt like something wasn't right, right? Something in the pit of his stomach, like something's wrong, couldn't put his finger on it. So fast forward... Three months later, James reads an article about a man who put a down payment on his house with Bitcoin profits. So some of you might know where this is going. And so when James read it, you know, his heart sank, right? He runs into his office, opens the drawer, pulls out the hard drive, plugs it in, and as you can guess, it was blank. See, on that other hard drive, James had over 8,000 Bitcoin on it, which at the time of writing this is worth $160 million. <laughs> and by the time he realized it, you know, it was too late. Months had gone by. They'd taken out the trash, you know. The garbage man came, threw it in the dump. And this is back in 2013. And ever since, the price of Bitcoin has climbed and climbed. And so this year kind of took a dip. But, um, and it, he's watched as, as his precious hard drive has grown more and more valuable. And, you know, it's so valuable, James has continued to go back to that dump and look for it. But he still has had no luck finding it. And now, nine years later, James, he still hasn't given up. So let me show you what this dump looks like now. It's a landfill, right? <laughs> and so James, he's proposing to the city this $11 million plan to excavate this dump and sort through 110,000 tons of trash <laughs> to look for this, this one hard drive. His plan, he has, you know, a team of human sorters. He's, he's got a, an AI sorter machine, and he's got this fleet of robot dogs. I don't even know what you'd use those for, but he's got them in there. And he's, but the, the thing is, James is still waiting for approval. This is, this is like pending right now. Um, but man, I... 
I feel so bad for this guy. I hope he, I hope he, they, they let him do it. So James, you know, he had not given up because what he had lost is just too valuable to let rot in the dump, right? He's willing to go whatever means necessary to find it. And can you imagine James' excitement if one of those robot dogs just comes trotting up with the, the hard drive in his mouth, right? And tonight, we're going to look at a parable, a story that Jesus tells that gives us a clear, clear view of who God is and what he's like, and more specifically, how valuable you are to him and his response to those who are lost turning to him. So if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to, to Luke 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. I'll have some verses on the screen we can follow along to. And while you turn in there, I'll, I'll set the stage for the story. So when we get to this part in Luke 15, you know, Jesus' ministry has grown very large, right? He's grown this large following. People begin to believe in him as their savior, right? They, they're just starting to follow him, trust in him. And crowds are drawing near to, to hear what he's got to say. To, they're fo- crowds are following him, witnessing his miracles, hearing his teaching. And at this point, he's also gaining some opposition, right? And we'll, we'll hear about this in the story, but the Pharisees are these, is a, a religious sect of Judaism at the time. Um, they're these leaders, scholars. They had status in, in this society, and they saw their traditions as extremely important, right? And that, that you must follow these traditions. And they, and they directly opposed Jesus. Some of them challenging his teaching and trying to get him to slip up. And so in this passage we're going to look at, Jesus directly addresses them and addresses some mis- misconceptions they have about who God, who God is and what he's like. So before we start, I'll pray for us and we get going. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for tonight, God, being able to come together and gather and hear, hear your word, God, and, and look into the Bible and see what you're actually like. So, God, I pray your word would penetrate our hearts and we would see more clearly who you are and how much you love us. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, starting in verse 1. Oh, that's much smaller than I would have anticipated. Uh, now the tax collectors... And sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So these, you can kind of picture these you know, religious rule followers are, are standing out, watching these other people, these sinners, draw near to listen to Jesus, right? And they're kind of like scoffing, like, Really? This prostitute is going to go listen to Jesus, what he's got to say? Or that drunk? practically lives at the bar, is going to go close to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, he's wasting his time with, with these people. You know, they don't, they don't uphold the law. God doesn't respect them. God doesn't love them. And Jesus, he's aware of their grumbling. He's aware of their heart. And then addresses them with this passage. He says, then Jesus told them this parable. And he actually addresses them in three parables. And tonight we're going to look at the very last parable he tells, the last story he tells, and this is the the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son. Um, And so in this this story, there's there's three characters, right? You have the father, 
you have the older brother, and then you have the younger brother. And so the father, he's represent, he represents God. And so the, the character of the father in the story directly relates to what God is like. And then the two brothers represent two types of people who are lost, who are far from God. So with that, let's bounce over to verse 11 to this story. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So essentially, this son, he goes up to his dad. He's like, Dad, I know that once you're dead, I'm going to take one third of your stuff. So instead of just waiting till you're dead, can I just have that stuff now and I'll just like be on my way if that's cool, right? I mean, what an insane thing to ask. Like he has, shows no compassion, no regard for his family or how it would affect them. You know, no, not like, doesn't care about his father's feelings if they might be hurt. No, he only cares about himself, right? His desires are the only thing that's on his mind. And then the father, he gives it to him. And we hope like, okay, maybe he's got some good intentions. Like maybe he just wants some, some money so he can go like start a business, right? Or do something savvy, you know, like buy a duplex and rent out the other side and, or invest in Bitcoin or something like that. But no, we see right away, he, he takes the money. He, so he gathers together. So he says, he gathers together all he had. And, you know, the father's, father's wealth would have been in a bunch of different assets, right? It could have been, like, land or cattle or crops, all these things. And so when he gathers together, he's essentially selling off all of his father's property, turning it into money, into cash, and then just leaving. He turns it into cash and leaves. And it says he spends his wealth on wild living. So what we learned later is, just spending it on prostitutes and partying. Basically just goes on a, a large, just extravagant, crazy trip where all he can do is just stuff his face with anything he gets his hands on. And because, because of this, because of his interaction with his father, this son, his heart is revealed. Right? He, he chooses his desires, his, he chooses pleasure, he chooses fun, over his own father, right? His, his mindset is, man, my dad, he's holding me back. Like, I know there's a whole world out there I, I need to experience. And just my dad, he's like cramping my style. I need to go see what life has to offer. He wants to go experience life. But so what does the father do in this little interaction? All the father does is he gives it to him. He lets him go. I mean, the father, he has every right to say, how dare you disrespect me like that? After all I've given to you, you just want to take my money and leave? And that would have been just, right? But the father, no, he, he lets him go. He doesn't make him stay. And though, although it hurts him, pains him to watch his son leave, the father, he doesn't force his son to stay. He doesn't force his son to love him. And so what do we learn about God in this, in this short passage right here? Is that God, 
he allows us to rebel. See, God, he gives us the choice to choose our sin, to choose our desires, to choose pleasure over himself. And although it pains God infinitely more than this father to watch his creation rebel against him, turn their back on him, and pursue pleasure, he doesn't force us to choose him. So my question for us tonight is, are there desires in your life that you're tempted to choose over God himself? Right? I mean, if you're here tonight and you would say you, you aren't a Christian, what are those desires? Could it be just partying, like living a wild lifestyle like the son? Is it, man, I don't think that the way that God wants me to live was, would be fun or satisfying? Is it a reputation? Like, man, I don't want to be associated with, with being a Christian or what that entails. I want to go live and, and not have to worry about what people think about me. Or is it a, a relationship that you know isn't good for you, you know that God wouldn't approve of, but you just don't care. I want, I want, this makes me feel good. I want to continue in it. And if you're here tonight and you are following Christ, you have been for either a short time or a while, there are desires that we continually begin to, to choose over God himself. So my question for us tonight is what is that desire? So at this point, you know, the son, he's gathered up his, his father's wealth, left, left home, and is living this lifestyle. Let's see what's going on. So it says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him out to the field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, this is, this is rock bottom. Like, at this point, the party's over, right? He spent everything. He's got nothing left. Didn't think about providing for himself or what would, what would come after this, his money ran out. No, he's, he's left with nothing. And he's forced to feed pigs. I mean, in an ancient Jewish culture, this would have been extremely shameful. Like, pigs were unclean. You don't associate with pigs. And he's doing this thing that he thought that he would never do, right? He's, he's feeding pigs. And as he's feeding them the slop, he's looking at it like, man, I could use some of that right now. Like, I, I want to eat that. Just a picture of how desperate he is. So his pursuit of pleasure, his pursuit, pursuit of his own desires ended here. He's got nothing to show for it. He's got nothing. Only scars and shameful memories, right? And don't get me wrong, it was probably fun, right? Like, don't hear me say that sin isn't fun, because if, if sin's not fun, you're doing it wrong, right? But his, his pursuit of pleasures ended here. And guys, sin is blinding, right? Chasing pleasures, it, it sucks you into this frame of mind that doesn't care about what people are thinking, or doesn't care about others around you, doesn't care about the consequences, only just feeding your desires, and at the end of that pursuit, you're left with nothing. Sin, it, it over-promises, but under-delivers. And so if you zoom out to this point in the story, as Jesus is telling it, you know, 
this, the Pharisees probably would have been listening like, see, that's what you get, right? That's what you get for going and disobeying your father or living like that. Justice is served. And then the sinners who are drawing near, some of them must have been like, man, I feel like that son. I, I know I've messed up. I got myself in this mess. And the story could have ended here. But Jesus continues. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. Right, so this son, he, he finally just wakes up, right? He finally just comes to the point, he's like, man, what am I doing here? Like, what did, how, did I, how did I get here? What have I become? He, he recognizes his own sin. He recognizes where pursuing his sin has got to. And then he thinks of his father. He remembers, man, my father, I know I can't be his son, but I know his servants are well provided for. And I'll just go back to him and he'll provide for me that way. And then it says, towards the end, then he gets up. And then he heads home. He decides, you know, I'm going to leave this distant country, leave this life of sin, and go back to my father, come home. And begins this, this grueling, probably shameful, long journey back home to his father. So this is what the word repentance, when you hear repentance, this is what it looks like. It's recognizing your own sin turning from it and walking in the other direction. So the son, he leaves this distant country, leaves his sin behind, and begins to walk to his home country, back, back to his hometown, you know, down that street and sees the father's house. He turns on that driveway, and the father, he sees him. It says, But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father, he was, he was filled with compassion. It wasn't anger or bitterness. It wasn't hatred, disgust. No, it was compassion. And he was so overflowing with love and compassion, he runs towards his son. And in ancient Eastern culture, I mean, this would have been just shameful, right? Like, as, a, as an old man, you don't run. Like, people come to you. It's undignified to run. I mean, heck, if I saw my dad running towards me, it wouldn't be the most graceful thing in the world. I mean, he's missing ACL. Like. But the father, he doesn't care, right? He, he's overcome, over, overflowing with love for his son and runs to hug him and embrace him. And the son, he's standing there, probably just filthy, wearing old, raggedy clothes, no shoes, dirt, covered in sweat and pig slop. But the father, he, he hugs him, brings him near, brings him close, right? Meets his son in his mess. And so the son, he's like, well, this is going better than I expected. Let me start my speech. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. Says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father, he doesn't discuss with his son how much he owed him. Right? He didn't discuss a, a payment plan of how many years he had to work for him to earn what he stole. No, he, he immediately provides for him. He immediately clothes him. Puts a, put a robe on him, puts sandals on his feet. And then he puts a ring on his finger. So this ring, it would have been a signet ring. It's the ring of their family. Symbolizing his place as a son being restored back in this family and making him once again an heir to his father's wealth, his already diminished wealth. The, store, the, the father restores the son back into his family. And the father, he's, he's so excited, he just throws a big celebration, kills the fattened calf. I mean, you don't just kill a calf, fattened calf for anything. It's, it's a big party. Like, you're inviting the whole neighborhood. There's a rager. So <laughs> what do we learn from God about this interaction with his son? It's that God receives the repentant rebel with joy. So it doesn't matter how far you've gone, how long you've strayed, how long you've been in this distant country, how long you've been rebelling against God, how bad you've been, what you've done. You are never too far from God. So you got in, in, this, in this distant country, if you're caught up in sin, it's very tempting to think like, man, God doesn't want me. I've, I've messed up. Like, you don't know what I've done. He's mad at me. He wouldn't accept me. I'm, I'm just damaged goods. But that's just a lie. Like the father, or God is like the father in this story, watching, watching you rebel, feeling compassion for you. Not anger, not hatred, but compassion. Because he knows that sin is destructive, right? This, the pursuit of sin just leads to brokenness. And only a true relationship with God is what we're searching for to fulfill us. God sees you, looks, looks at you with compassion. And so maybe you're here tonight and you, and you feel like this son. Feel far from God or caught up in, in wild living deep in sin, you feel like, or, and I'm telling you tonight that God invites you home. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone against God, he's inviting you home. Or maybe this distant country for you is, is not just an outwardly wild lifestyle. Maybe it's just a life that feels like something's missing. Right, like, you ask yourself, is this it? God's inviting you. Come home. And so you might be thinking, like, Ryan, what does this even look like? Can we stop speaking in metaphors? What it looks like is exactly what the son did. It's, 
recognizing your sin, turning from it, and walking the other direction, and trusting in Jesus as your only hope. See, I mean, we all are programmed, we, we all desire justice in our hearts, right? And so when we hear what the son did in the story to his father, we think like, man, yeah, that deserves punishment, right? Like justice needs to be served for what that, what that son did to his father. And then the reality is like, we have all been that son. We have all taken God's creation and twisted it to fulfill ourselves in a way that God doesn't approve of. And that's sin. And just like we think that the, old, the younger son deserves punishment, we also deserve punishment for our sin. But God, he, he loves us so much, this father loves us so much that he sent the one telling the story, Jesus, to go live, live a perfect life and die for us, for, for what we've done in this distant country. He put the, the penalty that we deserve for all of our sin on himself and died. And when he rose again, pro- proved that it was paid for so that when we trust in Jesus as our only hope, as our Savior, that God restores us. He puts that ring on his finger, restores us to his family. And if you're, if you're here tonight and you haven't, you realize you haven't done that, and, and you feel God tugging on your heart, I, I'm telling you, don't leave tonight without talking to somebody about it. Don't leave tonight without deciding to come home. So if you remember, there's also another son in this story, right? Like, where is he in all this? Well, let's find out, shall we? Okay. <laughs> in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? The servant says, your brother, he's come home, and your father, he's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the brother sees this party going on and asks the servant, you know, what's all this about? And the servant, he's probably really excited, like, hey, your brother, he's home. Isn't that great? Like, they're all, the whole village is in there, chowing down on fattened calf. Like, let's go get after it. But it says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. So, I mean, the older brother, he gets pouty, right? He's probably just like, sitting outside the party with his arms crossed, like, man, hoping someone, that no- someone notices he's upset. And, <laughs> and, the, and the father, he, he leaves this celebration. You know, he, he's at this party celebrating his son and just knows that someone's missing, that I need to be here, right? He thinks of his other son. And so the father, he leaves this celebration and goes to invite the other son, he wants him there. So the father goes out, and he answers his father, Look, after all these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. I mean, we all just want a goat party. <laughs> but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him? So, and he just directly disrespects his father. He's like, look. I've been good. I've followed the rules. 
I've worked hard. I've earned this, this, this party, this recognition, this celebration. Not your son. Do you remember what he did to us? And because he, the son he just explodes, and because he's so angry, his, his heart is revealed. So his motivation for, for working hard, for being good, for obeying his father, was not out of love for his father. It's for his stuff, how he could benefit. Both these sons wanted their father's stuff, but not the father himself. So the younger brother's rebellion was very obvious. Like anyone could have saw, like, man, that guy's going down the wrong path. He he rebelled by being very very bad, right? But this older brother, this older brother, his rebellion was in his heart. His rebellion was being, by being very, very good, right? He rebelled his father by caring more about his performance than the father himself. So the, son, or the father answers him, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father says, you're always with me. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't I be enough? Shouldn't our, our relationship be enough? And because you're with me, you, you have everything you need. I've, I've always provided for you. What more do you want? So what do we learn about God in this in our interaction with the older brother? Is that God He invites the rebellious heart nearer. So just like the father in this story wants a relationship with his son, God He wants a close relationship with us. So God God doesn't want our empty performance our just rituals or traditions. He wants, he wants our hearts. And if you remember, the whole point of this story was to address the Pharisees as they're listening. The Pharisees, they lived very strict lives. You know, they thought that if they lived according to their traditions, lived according to the rules, that they'd earn favor with God. And Jesus uses this story to call them out on it. And so what I want to ask us tonight is, do you really want God or do you just want his stuff? The things that God gives you. And so I have a few questions that we can ask ourselves and see if this older brother mentality has creeped into our lives. So are you excited are you genuinely excited when others place their tr- trust in Christ? Do you compare yourself to others and think, well, at least I'm not as bad as them? Are you quick to notice the sin of others but fail to see your own sin? Are you mad at God when things get hard or when you're overlooked or when things don't go your way? Do you think that you deserve blessings because you've been good 
attended church, served, etc. Is your time reading the Bible and praying more focused on what we can get from God rather than knowing God himself? Is a love for Jesus the motivation of why you serve, or is it the recognition of others? And in writing this, I'm writing some of these down, and you know, I felt convicted too of some of these things creeping into my own life. But the good news is, is just like the father sought out his, his son in his rebellion and his cold heart towards his father, God is inviting us to draw nearer to him, just like in the story. And so tonight, what is, what is it that you need to do to draw nearer to God, no matter where you're at? So one thing I love about the block is getting to hear from one of us, right? Like just hear from a young adult, what, what is their story? What does this look like from them? And so tonight I want to welcome up Bailey Hoagland to share her story. So give her a good, big hand as she walks up. Um, my name is Bailey Hoagland, like you said. Um, I'm a first grade teacher here in Overland Park. Um, I'm so excited to share my story with you all tonight. Um, but please forgive me, I'm a little nervous. I'm used to speaking to six-year-olds all day. Um, so I grew up in Olathe going to church with my family pretty much every week for my whole life. Um, I was involved in youth group every Wednesday night and went on several mission trips um, around the world every summer. Um, the gospel or the story of how God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins was shared with me many, many times throughout my life, and um, during one mission trip in high school, I remember praying to accept Christ into my life. I knew what it meant to have faith, and I knew that I believed in God, but my life that I was living did not reflect this at all. Um, I remember trying to read my Bible diligently and trying to form a consistent prayer life every time after a mission trip, but ultimately a couple weeks would go by, a couple months would go by, and I would fall back into the same patterns of laziness and selfish desires. Um, I graduated high school and headed off to K-State to get my degree in teaching, and I really didn't know what I was looking for. Um, so I followed in my sister's footsteps, and I joined a sorority, and um, joining my sorority kind of meant in some ways that my community was decided for me. And I don't know about you, but going into a large university as a freshman, I had no idea what I was doing. So um, I just, followed in their footsteps. Um, the only thing I knew going in was that I didn't want to be alone. And all of my fears, all of my anxieties came down to the feeling of being alone. Um, so for the first couple of weeks of college, I was surrounded by a pledge class of girls who were very eager to check out the party scene. Um, and I didn't really know anything about the party scene. I didn't drink in high school. Um, and going to parties was not really like my ideal weekend event. Um, but I didn't really feel like I had a choice because this is who I was surrounded by. Um, and I didn't have anybody else pulling me in a different direction and guiding me. Um, so I followed along the parties and I indulged in a lot of alcohol and a lot of very unhealthy relationships um, with, for most of my college career. Um, and while I was in the season, I remember thinking I had a desire for something more. Um, I had the awareness that this is not what I wanted my life to look like but I felt at that point I didn't have an option um, because I was too far invested in that lifestyle. 
Um, so four years of a lot of partying, bad relationships, um, drinking, and just a lot of selfish desires go by. And um, all of this led to so much sin and so much hurt in my life. Um, I was completely consumed by worldly desires. And all the choices that I, led, that I made led to so much anxiety and fear. Um, there were a couple semesters that I remember having days lost in anxiety and loneliness, even though I was constantly surrounded by other people. Um, I just always remember thinking, this can't be all that there is. How do I get out of this, and who do I ask for help? Um, so I tried to attend a couple churches in, Manha in Manhattan and uh, tried to get plugged in, but none of these ever really seemed to cure my anxiety, and honestly, sometimes it made it worse because I knew um, that everybody could see right through me. Um, I was so caught up in trying to manage everybody else's perceptions of me that I lost sight of forming connections with other people. Um, I wanted to be the fun friend who went out with the girls on the weekend and partied, um, but I also wanted to be the good Christian who went to church and lived a life that was honoring to God, or so it seemed. Um, I was spiraling into a really dark place, and I finally reached a breaking point, um, and I just I couldn't take any more dark days of anxiety. Um, so I reached out to a friend that I grew up with named Morgan, and Morgan was one of the most sweetest, nurturing friends that you would want to have in your corner. Um, and she agreed to meet with me a couple times a month, and we talked about the different sins and struggles that I was um, trying to get past and that I was currently making. Um, and we even started talking about what it would look like to read the Bible again, um, because I really didn't have a clue where to start. Um, and honestly, I didn't feel worthy of a reset with God. Um, but after meeting with Morgan for a couple of months, I began to feel like a weight was starting to lift off my shoulders, um, but I could still feel the shame and the guilt overpowering glimmers of peace that I was feeling. And I never found complete peace until I started being completely open and honest with Morgan about the sins in my life. And um, so at this point, we're both graduating from K-State, we're both moving home, and um, after we move home, she reaches out to me and um, tells me that there's a young adult Bible study starting at our church that we grew up going to, and we decided to try it out together. So um, at this point, I'm living with my parents back home, and in my mind, they have no idea of the struggles going on in my life, but although now I know that they probably knew everything going on, um, but I didn't want them to be a part of my healing process because selfishly, I didn't want to see the hurt and the disappointment that I caused in them. Um, and it wasn't until then that I truly realized how much time and my emotional capacity I was spending trying to manage everyone's perceptions of me, especially my family. Um, I wanted everyone to know that I was okay. I wanted everyone to know that I knew what I was doing. But the truth is, um, I wasn't okay. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was living a life full of sin, shame, and guilt. Um, so Morgan and I started going to Bible study every week, and we started hanging out with other young adults who were involved in this group, um, and it didn't take long to see how differently they were living their lives and how much joy they had in their lives. And I knew that I needed to be a part of this community, so I started saying yes to invitations and group hangouts as often as I could, um, eventually spending pretty much every night together. And these friends were living lives that were honoring to God, 
um, and they were pushing me to do the same. And they didn't know where I was coming from. They didn't know my past, but they created a space for me that was inviting, it was safe, and I, it had room for forgiveness, grace, and renewal. Um, so I shared my sins with them. I shared my hurts with them. And they taught me how to repent. They taught me how to ask for forgiveness. And they helped me understand that Jesus died for my sins. So I was truly forgiven. And I was truly redeemed. This is not an easy process. Um, it brought up a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And honestly, I'm still dealing with some of that today. Um, but I started to feel the peace and joy and an eagerness to learn what it looked like to walk with God every day and, and how to pray and how to read my Bible. I could feel the anxiety and guilt start to slip off that I'd carried for so long and for such of my life, it started to disappear. And the freedom and joy that I have now, knowing that I'm a daughter of Christ and that I'm forgiven and that I'm so deeply loved by my creator is incomparable to any brokenness that I felt. Um, and the amazing thing is that I don't have to feel those dark feelings of shame and guilt anymore because I know I'm forgiven. Knowing the grace and love that I receive from God daily pushes me to have that same grace and love um, to those around me every day. But I'm not perfect, and um, I'm a, sin a sinner, just like everybody in this room. Um, but I'm still working on it. I'm still working on my own stuff. But letting go and giving everything up to God, who is perfect and who is just, gives me so much freedom and joy that I've longed for for so much of my life. And if you're here tonight, I don't know where you're at, but if you're longing for um, grace and forgiveness and freedom and you need somebody to help walk you through this process, please find me or find someone that you came with tonight um, and ask them for help. It would truly, truly be my honor to help you find the joy and the freedom in Christ that I found years ago. Thanks for letting me share my story. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Bailey. That's, that's so cool. I think a lot of us can relate to that story. And it's awesome what God's done in your life. So guys, the Pharisees that Jesus is, is talking to, they have a misconception of who God is. Right? They, they think he's just wants you to obey this list of rules and then you'll find favor with me. But no, you, you see that the God loves all those who are rebelling against him. He's calling them to come home. So if you're here tonight and you haven't made that decision to, to come home, to turn and trust in Christ, I'm, I'm telling you, don't, don't wait. Don't leave this room without talking to someone about what that looks like. There'll be people in the back here with lanyards that would love to, to talk with you and share with you what that, what that looks like, how you could do that. Or if you're here tonight and you feel like you've, you've had this older brother mentality, man, look into what you can get from God, what God's stuff instead of God himself. I'd say confess that. Bring that to God. He's inviting all of us tonight draw nearer to him. So wherever you're at tonight, my encouragement to you is just draw nearer to God. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, 
God, we thank you for your word, God, that we can look into it and, and see who you are, God, and see truth about how you feel about us. God, we see that you have compassion with those, on those who are, are far from you, deep and, and stuck in sin, and you're inviting us to come nearer to you. So God, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that whether they haven't tr- turned and trusted in you tonight, God, that tonight will be the night they decide to leave that country and come home. I pray, God, I, I pray that we would all draw near as a result of, of your word, God, of this truth of who you are. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.